we'll continue on in the discussion really of the body of Christ. I'm framing it in the, in the urgency of the topic of racism. And I'm saying that racism cannot belong in the body of Christ because it is a doctrine of demons meant to as a last defense against the advancement of the kingdom of God in the earth. This is not a doctrine that has come from God. This is a way that certain unscrupulous fellows, unscrupulous people, attempt to establish a choreography for political, social, and economic advantage. It's the doctrine of a harlot who wishes to justify herself and her behavior in the face of the rising of a true bride in the earth. So I was talking, and go back, and if, you have, if this is the first of the messages you are listening to, go back and review the first two. This is session three. Now, so we're talking about the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ and the focus on oneness, let them be one. And I had explained that God gave the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, to bring into the earth the spirit of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them. Before I get to that though, here's the question, what exactly does it mean when Jesus asked, what did He mean when He asked the Father? Let them be one as you are in Me and I am in you, let them be one in us. So they need to be one in the Father and the Son and whatever the configuration of relationship between the Father and the Son was, that needs to be the same relationship into which we are brought. Now, by the very terms Father and Son, defining the relationship between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're talking of course about a spiritual relationship. So we're not, we're not looking at or looking for one person um, physically um, being himself in another physical being. We're talking about spirit-to-spirit connection. And in that view, how is the Son in the Father? Let them be one in the manner in which you and I are one. You are in Me, I am in you. Let them be one in us. How was the Father in the Son? The Son provided His body a body you have prepared for me according to the book of Hebrews, as it's written in the, in, the, in, the, in the book of the scrolls, a body you have prepared for me. Don't have time to open that, merely to refer to it. The point is that Jesus provided His person 
to host the Spirit of the Father in Himself. That is possible spirit to spirit. It's not possible body to body. That was the problem Nicodemus had. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He was thinking of physical birth versus what Jesus was talking about which is spirit to spirit birth. There are two births, that which is born of flesh and that which is born of the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is from God and the connection is spirit to spirit. So Jesus' body, the body of Jesus of Nazareth, hosted the Spirit of the Father God in Him. That's why He could take on the title, the Everlasting Father, as was recorded in the prophecies of Isaiah, which say, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So one of the names that Jesus properly carries, one of the titles, is Everlasting Father, because the Father lived in Him. The Spirit of His Father indwelt His Spirit, and to the the consequential end that He said, I only do what I see My Father doing. The Son can do nothing of Himself. That's a posture that's described in the Scriptures as belief. It's the word pistis, pistis. It has a number of words that come out of it, words like epistemology, which is the foundation of your convictions, what do you stand upon? Or the word uh, tetimi, the word histemi. These words mean, tetimi means to lie down as one who is vulnerable, to literally, it means to offer no, uh, no resistance, to lie as if one is dead, to lie behind a stone, as it were, in, in the case of the shield of faith, where the word shield actually means a stone that is rolled into place like in a sepulchre, to lie down as if one is dead. And then to t- uh, histemi, from which we get the English word, histamine or the pharmaceutical word histamine is how in your position of vulnerability God stands up in you as Himself. Jesus knowing and understanding that said, the Son can do nothing of Himself. Why? Because He believed in the Father. The Father was His epistemology, His entire raison d'etre, His reason for living in the world, was to give place for the hosting of the sovereign presence of the Father in heaven. That's what it means to believe, by the way. It's not some intellectual acquiescence to a mere fact. It's not when you say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's not, it is not acknowledging that there was an historical Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and agreeing that you, that you have accepted 
his salvation. No, it's not about accepting Jesus as uh, your Lord and Savior. You accept him first as your Savior and then you lie down in the fullness of belief in all that he is and then he becomes your Lord. God raised him from the dead and made him to be both Lord and Christ. So we have, we have a church populated by people who just wanted to go to heaven when they die with no intention of submitting all of who they are to the Lordship of Christ. And among this people, racism proliferates because there is no theology of the oneness between the Father and the Son into which we now are being invited. We can't bring our junk and garbage with us into the body of Christ. Even if we do, He will press us, He will put the pressure on to conform us to this standard of righteousness, which is, which is spoken to in a single commandment. Jesus said in the lead up to John 17, from as far back as John 13, Jesus said, in new commandment I give you. Well, what was the old one? The old one was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. So the standard is you. Love the other, including God, the way you love yourself. That's the only, that was the highest expectation of that commandment under the law. So the standard of the law was what, whatever you could do, the best that you could do. The new is new because it has a different standard, it introduces a different measure. In new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, not as you love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, which is the best you can come up with. No, this is the same standard for God as it is for man, as I have loved you. The I speaking is the living God, the incarnate Christ, the incarnate God in the form of Christ. So the new commandment is the same standard applicable to God and man and that's the only way it could be because you're being invited to come into an existing relationship between the Father and the Son because it says, let them be one in us in the manner in which we are now one and we've always been one and that manner is you are in me. I host your presence. I don't have an ability to do anything of myself. I choose to submit, I tatimi, I lie down in, as it were, in death to whatever the will of God is for my life. It's the conclusion that he articulates in the garden before his execution the following day when he said, 
Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That's belief. That's pistis. That's faith. That's our epistemology. That's what we stand on. Anything else is garbage. Anything else is a foundation of sand. And we're watching the collapse of things built on sand in the day that the floods have arisen and the rains are falling and the winds are blowing. You remember that, of course, as the conclusion of Jesus' message, fondly known as the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, A man is foolish who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. He's like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Indeed, his epistemology, that's the foundation, epistemology, is the, is the term foundation of belief. It tracks perfectly with the word basilica or basilio, the, the, the Greek term basilio, the, Hebrew, uh, the, the Latin term basilica, it means the foundation or basis and there it's specific to power and rule, whereas an epistemology is whatever you choose to, to believe as the foundation of, of your convictions. But where it comes to the kingdom of God, the basilica, again uh, related to the term epistemology, is the foundation on which you stand. If your foundation is based in popular culture, as the professor told me all those years ago when I was uh, in, in, in Bible school, uh, that um, well, American culture is divided and the church therefore just follows the culture. That is a foundation based on sand because it's not the kingdom of God. The epistemology of the kingdom is that the Son can do nothing of Himself. The Son believes the Father and submits to whatever the Father wants to do, even to death on a cross, which is when and how the Son then is exalted. He's raised from the dead and seated in the position of authority. The right hand is a reference to the position of the firstborn, because the firstborn is the standard. He's not necessarily the first in time. The first in time was Adam. Jesus was later in time. But he's the first in rank because he is the one to correct the deviation from the standard. So if you are a part of the general assembly and church of the firstborn, you must be conformed to the pre-existing standard, which standard is, the Father is in me to will and to do the Father's pleasure. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That's what's going on as he faces the cross. And the cross is to put on display the absolute subject, subjection 
of the Son to the Father. And because of that, he could not be allowed to remain in, corrupt, in a corrupted state uh, of, of decay. That's why God raised him from the dead, because he was the carrier in perfect form of the, of the Father's glorious presence. That's why he is unique in all of history. And so he lived to give place to the presence of the Father, that the Father living in him would do his work. That's what's meant by you are in me. Your spirit has taken dominion over my, even over, over every aspect of my being. Why? Because I have allowed it. I have believed in you. I have believed that in allowing you to control me, Jesus is saying to the Father, that that is my best life now. Not this other garbage you hear, where God has to, God takes your shopping list and fills it out because you know, you're all that great. This is, this is how deep the delusion has come to be, where people actually preach about living your, be your best life now, which is the way you want to be. There's no suffering in that best life now. There is no arbitrarily submitting the rule of your life to his, to his whim. We want to be in control, we want to stay in control, and we want him to just guarantee the outcomes for us. That's garbage theology. Uh, if, uh, I can't say a more convincing term. I, I, I wouldn't know what the term would be because I'm not given to vulgar speech. It's beyond nonsense, it's rubbish. The epistemology of the Christian faith is that we are to be assembled to Christ as parts of a spiritual body and in that body we continue to submit to the rule of the Father who lives in the Son. Now when you live in the Son, you don't have a choice but to do what the Son is doing. WWJD what would Jesus do? Well, you don't have to speculate. It's not like he keeps reinventing the wheel. He's already shown us what the pattern is and the pattern doesn't vary. The Son will obey the Father. The whole purpose for the Son is to carry the presence of the Father. You can't do that. You can't even begin to approach how that might be done apart from the Holy Spirit leading you moment by moment. You don't have to try to figure out what Jesus would do in a particular situation. You have the same Spirit who, lives in, who lived in Christ dwelling in you. Or have I not read Romans 8? Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who gave Christ life from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
by his spirit who lives within you. Because it's the same spirit. He won't tell you something different than what he told Christ. We have the certainty, the guarantee. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing that we would be properly assembled to Christ and we would be told the same things that Christ was told in his day because this is the Spirit that has come from the Father to connect the members of the body of Christ to the Spirit of Christ himself. You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel among the mature. This other, give me your hand, give God your heart and join the church of your choice and wait till you get to heaven, that's a gospel for children for people who have no intention of growing up, don't even know that there's such a thing as growing up. And that's the point. The the Son hosts the presence of the Father. The Father, whose love for the Son, mandates that He does not leave the Son untended at any time because the Son has made Himself vulnerable to the Father. There's no way for the Father to leave a Holy One to see corruption. And when you're in the Son, that promise is your hardwired promise. You are in Me and I am in you. What does that mean? It means that the Son then lives under, is protected by, has the full immunity from the presence of the Father. The Father hovers over the Son to preserve Him in all His ways, to preserve Him in all His ways. To the obedient Son, the Father is His economy. He is in the Father in the sense that the authority of the Father overshadows, protects, supplies all and everything that is necessary for the life of the Son in the earth. The economy, the oikos nomos, oikos being house, nomos being order, the order of the house of God, oikos nomos, where we get the word oikonomia, God's economy is available to the Son to protect, to supply, to enable in all the forms that that takes place. Not just material stuff, but more the greater things. One of the reasons you're required to be faithful with unrighteous mammon is to simply acknowledge again and again that everything you have comes from God and you live in Him, you move in Him and you have your very being in His authority. And then He he gives out the economy of His house, of the heavens, of His nature. The greatest thing He has to give is the expression of His nature through you. And that comes supplied with everything necessary for life and godliness. The lesser of the things is unrighteous mammon. The greater of the things of the economy of God are wisdom, 
knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, lordship, rule, and the fear of the Lord. So we live in the Father's. The Father is the Father is in us. We are in the Father. We live in the sphere. If I could use the word biosphere, but that would be erroneous on many counts. But just as a an erroneous and very poor way of trying to convey a concept of how the eternal God defines the dimensions of our being and supplies everything for both life and godliness. So in that way, we are in the Father. When you are in Christ, then you've come into the the pre-existing relationship between the Father and the Son. And you're assembled as many parts of one body, one corpus. And that is irrespective of whether you are, listen to this from uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, verse 26 of Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now note this is a baptism into Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now God has given to us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints according to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 and following. But at verse 1 it says, endeavor to keep the unanimity of the Spirit. The word that's translated unity there is the word unanimity or oneness in the bond of peace. Until you reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ, then you will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of of men in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, you will in all things grow up into the fullness of Him who is the head. So the same standard for Christ will be incarnated in you. You will be the incarnate standard of Christ. That is what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. And then when you are in Christ in that fashion, it will grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. And when the world sees in one corporate form all the races of mankind dwelling in the beauty and harmony and peace of the body of Christ, having resolved all the problems that bedevil men today, they will look and observe a phenomenon in the earth. They will see that these people are different from all the other peoples of the earth. They will conclude this is a holy race. These are not mere men, these are the sons of God. That's the message 
It's the message of hope for the world. Racism is a direct assault upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be caught up in it. Reject it utterly for what it is. It's a doctrine of devils designed designed to undermine the truth of oneness in Christ. I am Sam Solon and I hope that you will review these messages and let them sink into your heart to produce life. So be it. Amen.